1: The Cold Dark Depths of a Secret Dungeon Somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest On this, the third of the weeknight extravaganza We're going to tell some ghost stories tonight on the program Because I'm in the mood for them It's been a uh, very interesting week, to say the least Technical-free week of the program, mind you We've had absolutely no technical issues Which is wonderful Absolutely wonderful. Knock on word of what, of course, we're talking about ghosts tonight. So, uh, you know, there is a possibility that we could have a ghost or two in the machine, I suppose, on the program. It's good to have you here on Ground Zero Radio, on WLRU, and on the TuneIn Radio app, the Paranormal Radio app, and everybody else. Uh, We want to say hello to those of you who are listening on ParanormalRadio.com tonight as well. When you think about the process of death, which is a very uh, depressing subject to talk about, but it's something that is we will all experience in our life at some point. And we will not live to tell about it. At least not in this form. But we could live to tell about it in the other form. And that's what I want you to get ready for tonight. Because when people die, we know that they go somewhere, that their soul goes somewhere. Maybe consciousness has something to do with all that. But we know that in places where there are haunted or ghostly activity reported, it doesn't necessarily mean that there has been a death that has occurred in that place. Because, of course, we know about residual hauntings, and we have heard about stories where spirits do travel. So just because there is some paranormal activity, or some parabnormal activity, which kind of covers the gamut, doesn't necessarily mean that someone has physically died in that location. However, tonight, the stories that we're going to hear involve tales of murder and passion and cold blooded killing, each that has resulted in an eerie haunting. My guest tonight is Sylvia Schultz. She's a ghost hunter, she's an author, and she has written the book Grave Deeds and Dead Plots. She is here in the flesh. Hi, Cynthia uh, Sylvia. How are you
2: Jeremy? I am doing fantastic. How are you?
1: It's going to be above ground
2: <laughs> Oh, you got that right. Yes, it has been a weird week all over. <laughs> oh man so yeah let's let's uh cap off the middle of the week by telling some ghost
1: stories i'm I'm down for that. I'm definitely down for that. So how did you come across these stories? I know you've written several books. About ghost stories, and in your most recent one, I think it might be fair to say you came across uh, what a striking trend, and and that uh, does involve death.
2: That's exactly right. I was working on Days of the Dead, a year of true ghost stories, and yeah, it took me two years of research and fourteen months of writing, but I did find a ghost story for every single day of the year. And while I was doing that research, I came across, well, I read a whole bunch of stories and then when I found one with a specific date, I noted it. But I realized that with most of these stories, quite a lot of these stories, there was a murder involved or a serial killer was at work or a mass murder took place or uh, someone just had a high speed come apart and and killed someone in the throes of passion, so yeah, a lot of these ghost stories ended up. We we have the stories because because of true crime. The the line between true crime and the paranormal is just vanishingly thin. There a lot of hauntings happen because of because of murder.
1: I mean, it is, when you think about it at its most simplest form, uh, when there is murder, there is death. So then we're talking about a spirit who was once human and has now, well, not necessarily moved on physically uh, from the location, uh, but has moved on spiritually, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you're right in saying that. It's not necessarily that someone was killed there, but... There are some locations that are haunted because someone lost their life and they lost their life very suddenly. And perhaps they're not used to the idea yet and it's a perfect recipe for a haunting. Um, There are places that uh, that are haunted because people were killed there. There are some places that are haunted because the murderer lived there or, um, you know, something like that. There are so many different ways that a place can be haunted, and uh, some of those hauntings are the result of true crime.
1: Famous cases? uh, Would we be aware of, of any of those, or are these more infamous cases, maybe?
2: Well, this, I'm very happy to say that Grave Deeds and Dead Plots is going to be the first in a series of true crime and haunting books. So I tried to arrange these books so that there are a couple of well known cases in every book and some that people might not have heard of. In this first volume, we have the Velisca Axe Murders. We have the Velisca House, which is splendidly haunted it's one of my favorite places to be um i visited there several times i spent the night there the first time i was there uh yeah and that's a pretty are,
1: notorious yeah. one it was um it was in, <laughs> yeah. in iowa uh eight people including six children uh, all dead uh, yeah. heads severed with an axe
2: right right well their faces were demolished there weren't there weren't any severed heads going around, but their their faces were were pulped with the the, um, the backside of the axe. And the the killer, whoever the killer was, was so focused on Josiah, the the father of the family, that he used the blade on Josiah's face.
1: So and so, yeah. do we know how many of them came back as ghosts?
2: Well, that's interesting. Um, there have been People studying the Velisca case and the hauntings there for lots of years and they seem to have made contact with the children, with Josiah and Sarah, and even sometimes with people that have been accused of the Velisca murder. The thing about the Velisca murder is that it was never solved. They um, they had a several suspects in mind But none of them really panned out. So they have investigators have made contact with people that might have been the murderer. But mostly the spirits that come through are the spirits of the children. And they are very eager to reach out and tell their story and just interact with the investigators.
1: So that would be the spirits of six children.
2: Yes, yes. Yes, Ina and Lena Stillinger and the, the four more children.
1: Did they have a, a certain message that they wanted to share?
2: Oh, um, well, it's mostly the children asking to play. They're still, they're still kind of going about their lives in the afterlife, and they're, they're, they seem to be stuck at the age they were when they passed which is not uncommon for child ghosts and they they simply want to be acknowledged they simply want to play it uh the more children were herman catherine boyd and paul and um they 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 will roll roll balls around they will they will say hello (laughs) they're they're very interactive young ghosts
1: uh Playful, uh, it would seem at times. Then, um, yeah, as we would expect, I'd call them playful.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ina and Lena don't seem to come through as well. But that—that that wasn't their home. They were just guests there for the night. The other children, they—they they, that was their home. So, yeah, that makes sense. That that's where they
1: still are. So, were there other families that moved in?
2: Oh yes, yes. There were families that moved in. And the the strange thing about it is that the hauntings continued. Um, it was in the mid 1960s, I believe, that uh, a family moved in. There were families that lived there that the children would complain that their clothes were being moved around. And the hallmark of the Villisca murder was that, all the windows and the mirrors were covered in clothing, it's like the murderer didn't want to be seen. Um, So that was a hallmark of the the actual murders that took place. So these people that were living in the house, the children that were living in the house, were experiencing things that had taken place during the murders. there was a a family that moved in where there were a couple of young girls in the the family and the mother and the father and the father absolutely did not believe in ghosts at all just completely poo-pooed the idea but his his wife and his his girls were oh man there's, there's something not right with the house so um The father was, the girls were in the parlor one day and the father was sitting at the kitchen table and he was uh, sharpening his pocket knife. And all of a sudden, as if he were in some sort of a trance, he lifted the knife and put his other hand down on the table and stabbed the knife through his hand into the table. And the shock of that pain woke him out of this trance. And he realized, okay, there's something here I don't understand. And that family left the house that night. The only thing they grabbed was the guy grabbed a towel to to wrap around his hand because he was bleeding so badly. They left the house. They did not come back.
1: That one uh, (laughs) one of the more famous instances. What about one of those that maybe hasn't seen as much press or publicity over the years?
2: Oh, well, here's one of my favorites. Uh, Now this was a news story to me, so I'm pretty sure it will be a news story to my readers. Um, Once upon a time, late in the 19th century, there was a girl named Celia Rose who lived in Pleasant Valley, Ohio. Now, with a pretty name like Celia Rose, living in a place called Pleasant Valley, you might be picturing a dainty girl with porcelain skin and cascades of golden curls, a demure damsel whose greatest joy would be to sit and work on her embroidery. You would be wrong. Celia Rose was a big, plain, ungainly farm girl. She... um, she lived with her parents david and, Re- and Rebecca, her brother Walter. She lived next to a another family who farmed the land. The roses were farmers, and um the this family that lived next door were also farmers, the berries. Now, the berries had a teenage son named Guy, who was seventeen. Celia was about twenty two Celia developed this huge crush. On Guy Barry, she would stand and talk to him over the fence, and he was polite to her, but didn't really encourage her, but she was absolutely convinced that they were going to get married, and she hung around and made a pest of herself and just kind of mooned over this kid and Guy finally went to his, his father, and his father went to Celia's father and said, "Look, you you have got to." dissuade your daughter from hanging around my son. He's, he's starting to get annoyed. So Celia's father said, look, this is not going to happen. You need to snap out of it. You're not ever going to get together with this kid. Just knock it off. Everyone's getting annoyed with you. So Celia did not want to hear this at all. So... She took rat poison and sprinkled it on her family's cottage cheese that they ate for breakfast every morning and killed her mother, her father and her brother. Her mother didn't die right away. Her mother started to get better and um, the mother kind of had an idea what was going on. So the mother said, oh, you know what? We're going to have to move. We're just going to have to get out of the neighborhood. We're just going to have to move somewhere else. And, of course, Celia didn't want to be parted from her beloved guy. And so she finished off the job. She made a bowl of bread and milk for her mother and poured arsenic on that, too, and finished the job.
1: So, Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow.
2: So that's, the, that was new to me.
1: <laughs> no doubt. Uh, did you find a pattern yeah. uh, in, in these stories, maybe? A really delightful thing um the
2: hauntings of these stories can be very serious and frightening they can be very gentle they can be um as inconspicuous as a door closing or a window opening on its own like what happened um with frank lloyd wright's um common law wife mama uh, she was and her children were murdered um, in frank lloyd wright 's home in um in the wisconsin woods and her haunting is very gentle that she was taken to a guest house on the property um, after she was killed so since she was already dead, her spirit doesn't it's not very active, and then you have things like the Velisca murders. Or, my goodness, for if you want a serious haunting, you only have to look at um, the, um, oh, <laughs> no, no, I'm losing it. Um, the, uh, oh, come on. It's uh, Bobby, Bobby Mackey's Music World. That actually, the haunting there, that is considered one of the most haunting haunted places in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of very dark activity, especially in the basement. And that haunting actually resulted, possibly, from a murder. There was a uh, girl named Pearl Bryan who was killed by her boyfriend and his friend in 1896. and to dispose of her body they they cut off her head so they she couldn't be identified and they left her body in the woods and they threw her head down the well at the building that later became Bobby Mackey's Music World it Wasn't started out known for
1: some mob activity back in the days Yes, it
2: was. Yes, it was. It was um, a slaughterhouse to begin with. That's where the well was, and to, to dispose of the um, the offal and the the byproducts of the the slaughtering business, um, the the well led straight to a river. And the, the slaughterhouse was torn down in the 1930s, and then a new building was built, and it was called the Primrose, and it functioned as a roadhouse. And a speakeasy and a casino all rolled into one. The club did so well that um, the, the club kind of got the attention of the Chicago mob. The owner of the Primrose Club was called Buck Brady. And he did so well with his establishment that the mob kind of moved in and basically took it over. And Buck was so upset about this that he committed suicide in the club, to make his feelings completely clear. The mob took over the club and renamed it the Latin Quarter. There there are hauntings associated with that time in the building's history as well. That closed in the 1950s, and the nightclub morphed yet again into a biker bar called, and I'm not making this up, it was called the Hard Rock Cafe. (laughs) Yeah, but this this was not, you know, some tourist trap. This is like a, a real bucket of blood dive that was known for random acts of senseless violence. Um and that was shut down in the nineteen seventies after a certain series of fatal shootings occurred there. And in nineteen seventy eight it was bought and became by by Bobby Mackey and became a country music club. And that's when um the owner, the owner has, Bobby does not believe in ghosts at all, but he realized that his building had this dark history and he opened it up and he allows people to investigate there. And he's like, "Yeah, all I want to do is get on stage and play country music, but y'all can look for ghosts if you want. <laughs>
1: so, uh, any he so known yeah, to have uh, made an appearance on stage?
2: On stage, I don't know. <laughs> A lot of the activity takes place in the basement where that well was that was associated with the slaughterhouse. But uh, there are other places. I don't know if any ghosts have ever appeared on stage. But There are other places in the establishment that have um, activity going on.
1: Sylvia, do you think that... Uh... Maybe what these victims who have, you know, met such a demise might be reaching out to, I don't know, share their stories, get a little sympathy, something like that? Oh,
2: absolutely. Um, Some of these are people trying to reach out, trying to make their presence known. Their lives were cut short so abruptly that they just want to be acknowledged and then there are some hauntings that are simply residual. There's the case of Screaming Lizzie. There's a, a woman who named Lizzie Coshal in Chicago who had a not so secret admirer named Edward Robhote and he mooned over her. He followed her. He was he was basically a stalker. Before the term "stalker" was invented, uh, the family took out a peace bond against him, which is basically a restraining order. But he absolutely ignored that, and he ended up um, meeting Lizzie as she got off the the um, the uh, train, um, or the streetcar, rather. When she got off of her job one night, she she was coming home from work and got off the the streetcar. And um, Edward was waiting there for her and he just freaked out, seeing her and raced towards her and um, stabbed her in the chest. And as soon as her body hit the pavement, he pulled out a revolver and stuck the barrel into his mouth and squeezed the trigger and blew his own head off. And fell, basically collapsed on top of her and he was dead before he landed. And that has resulted in a residual haunting at the corner of Lincoln and Carmen streets in Chicago. And when the moon is full, like it will be this weekend, um, there is the sound sound of Lizzie screaming. <laughs> and that that's 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 her nickname. That her spirit's nickname is Screaming Lizzie. She didn't even have time to say anything. She just realized she was being attacked and just. Started shrieking, and that's what she does through eternity. Wow.
1: Uh, yeah. five, our phone number is 503 506 0396, and our Skype is ITP51. I'm with Sylvia Schultz, and she is author of the book, Grave Deeds and Dead Plots. Our program tonight, Haunted to the Grave on Into the Paranormal. Uh, her website Sylvia Schultz, s c h u l t s dot wordpress dot com. We've got the link up at paranormalradio dot com. If you'd just like to go there and uh, navigate from there, is there another one of the cases that you discuss? Maybe that uh, is is more well known.
2: Oh gosh, yes. Here's here's one that's well known. Um, every every ghost story, every ghost hunter worth his or her salt, um, has heard of the Myrtles, the haunting at the Myrtles in St. Francisville, Louisiana. It's supposed to be haunted by the ghost of Chloe, a slave who um, was threatened with being sent. She was a house slave and she was threatened with being sent to the fields and um, did not want that to happen. So she tried she, she she poisoned the master and missus of the house and the children on purpose, but she kind of overdid it. She wanted to make them sick and then nurse them back to health and she misjudged the strength of the oleander that she put into the cake and they all died. That's the story anyway. Um, the thing is that chloe might not actually have existed um there was no record of a an enslaved woman named chloe at the myrtles at any time so we're we're not really sure how this got started but there are there have been ghost stories at the myrtles for a very long time and in 1987, one of the owners saw a woman in a green turban, and Chloe is supposed to appear wearing a green turban because she had the the, the master of the house cut her ear off for listening at doors. So that's why she was really irritated. Um, but that has nothing to do with a murder. So why is it in this book? So the reason it is. That the story of the Myrtles is in this book is that there was a murder at the Myrtles. It just was not a slave poisoning people, it was an actual, straight up, cold blooded murder. One of the owners were, uh, was William Winter, married to Sarah Winter. Um, in 1871, on January 21st, 1871, William Winter was teaching a Sunday school lesson in the gentleman's parlor of the Myrtles when he, he heard the hoofbeats of a rider approaching the house. And he heard someone yelling for him to come out and uh, he was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. So he, William walked out onto the porch and the rider shot him, William collapsed. And the rider rode off, and no one ever found him. No one ever found out why William was w- murdered like that. Um, that's just one of those unsolved mysteries. There's a version of the story that says that William dragged himself inside and crawled up the stairs and died on the 17th step, or that Sarah met him on the staircase and and met him on the 17th step where he died in his she he died in her arms. Neither of those are actually true. That's just fanciful embellishment. He actually just died on the porch where he had been shot. Pretty much um, just drops him where he stood, and he died right there. So that is a ghost story that is involved with the Myrtles. It's not the one that the Myrtles is most famous for. So it's interesting to see what people pick up on and what people make into these tales of ghost lore. Some of these ghost lore stories have maybe a grain of truth, but they have nothing really to do with what actually happened, what happened with the history. I think it's fascinating.
1: Well, Sylvia, you always write about fascinating uh, events, mostly ghosts-oriented. Uh, and so if folks want to find out more, they just go to your website at sylviaschultz.wordpress.com or they can find the link at paranormalradio.com And uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, always good to chat with you.
2: Well, thank you, Jeremy, for having me. I really appreciate it. I did want to say that it's Sylvia Schultz, S-H-U-L-T-S.
1: Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Fantastic uh conversation tonight and I appreciate all of you being with us here on Into the Paranormal. As we talk about, you know, things that are a little bit uh definitely outside the box, but you know, you're used to that here on the program. Tomorrow night will be no exception, friends, because uh if you were with us earlier in the week, uh and you know, we do uh, Monday through Thursday nights. In addition to our Saturday night program, and I already spilled the beans that we were going to be talking a little bit about space junk later in the week. So that must mean that that's coming up tomorrow night on the program. So if that is your kind of thing and uh, you like to talk about space junk or you're open minded and you want to hear our discussion, uh, make sure that you come here tomorrow night uh, at this same time when we'll be doing that. We've got a deal that we're running at ParabnormalRadio.com. Just look for the banner for the Alley Beats. You'll see me holding the Alley Beats. It's through GetTheTea.com. It's a two-month supply, and we've got a deal that we're running right now, but it's only for September. Go to ParabnormalRadio.com and click the banner, or you can go to GetTheTea.com and enter discount code JEREMY32. Again, that's GetTheTea.com. And uh, the discount code is Jeremy32 for a two-month supply of Alley Beats. All right? Get your Alley Beats. I am uh, definitely uh, taking that every day as a supplement. In addition to the Life Change Tea, and they've got some new flavors uh, that Ronnie and the folks have sent me there. They've also made some changes to their website. So if if you want tea or you're interested in the supplements or anything that they have going on over there, you just go to get It's that simple. Get the tea, tea.com. And uh, get your tea, or you can get your alley beats. Again, that discount code is Jeremy32. All right. And then Saturday night we've got our full program for you, the full enchilada as we call it, our fifth night. The Saturday night show is going to be a very, very interesting one. We'll hopefully carve out some time uh, tomorrow night to discuss a little bit about what will be coming up on the program this Saturday night. And if you miss any of that or you need a replay or a refresher or anything like that, you just go to ParabnormalRadio.com and we've made it easy for you to get all the information. Uh, you can check out uh, the advertisers. You can become a member of Podcast Plus, and of course, uh, take it on a UFO from Johnny Cobb and Jerry McCoy. Their UFO album that's available as well through our website. From the cold, dark depths of a secret dungeon, somewhere deep in the remote Pacific Northwest, I am Jeremy Scott. Good night, everyone.